Hall Arise! Welcome to the Motorsports Ministry. For all the latest hot takes and gossip around the racing industry, NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and more. All right, congregation, take your seats. Here's the man, the myth, the legend, the Motorsports Minister, Armani DePaul. What's going on, congregation? It's the Motor Minister, Armani DePaul, and welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, the home for all the latest hot takes in the racing world. We got a pretty decent chunk of topics today. We're going to be talking about Connor Daly getting cut from Ed Carpenter Racing. We'll be talking about Chase Elliott. Can he really win a race to lock himself into the playoffs this year? And we're going to be talking about the recent news that, you know, Formula One actually was going to head over to South Africa, but for some Let's just say other reasons were they ended up cutting that completely. We're going to dive into all of that. So without any further ado, let's begin. All right, let's start off with this. Motorsports is so motorsports is really weird in compared to most other sports in the world. I think we can all agree on that. One of the reasons that, you know, it kind of fascinates me and it's really been fascinating me really for the past couple of years is that. You know, the fan favorites very rarely in racing are the top guys in the sport. I mean, the guys who are actually competing up front. Like, who would you say is the most popular football player? Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson. You know, the the guys who are at the top, the best of the best. Basketball, Ron James, Giannis, Jimmy Butler. They're probably the most popular, you know, basketball players, you know, Joker is another one. But the guys who are the best of the best, and really Formula One is probably the only one where the top drivers are the most popular. So like Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, for example, I think we can agree that those are the two most popular drivers in the sport. But NASCAR and IndyCar, it's really not like that at all. I mean, Jimmy Johnson never won most popular driver. I don't think Scott Dixon's ever one most popular driver or, you know, maybe in modern day Alex Pillow, you know, Tal Larson, no. And, you know, one of those instances is Connor Daly. Connor Daly is one of, and you can even make a smidge of an argument, probably the most popular driver in IndyCar. He's a local Indiana guy. He's a likable personality. So people just naturally gravitate towards him. And I got nothing wrong with Connor Daly. I'm indifferent to him. I mean, he looks like he's a really nice guy. Looks like a guy, you know, you can go out to the bar, have a drink, have a good time with. But this is motorsports. And motorsport is a business. So if you guys don't know, Connor Daly, I believe either yesterday or a couple days ago, it was announced that he was getting cut from the number 20 car at Ed Carpenter Racing. A ride that he's held. In some capacity, since I believe 2020, around 2019. I know in 2020, he was, you know, going part-time between the 20 and the 59 car when Carlin Racing was still around. And I believe 2021 was when he moved into that car full-time. So, he gets cut from the car. 
And it's causing a lot of up. Let's just say that. Because, like I mentioned, Connor Daly, he's a likable personality. He's a popular driver. Fans gravitate towards him. And so naturally, when a popular, likable guy gets cut from his job, of course you're going to be kind of disappointed. I mean, let's say the most popular guy in school, he gets suspended for a week. You're probably going to be a little disappointed if, you know, if that was you back in the day or whatever. But like I mentioned before, motorsports is a business. And, you know, looking at Connor Daly's stats right now, I mean, folks, can you really blame Ed Carpenter? I mean, let's just read over some of Connor Daly's stats right now. So this is just overall. He has 104 total starts to his name. He's got zero wins, so he's never been on the top step of the podium. Speaking of the podium, he's only been on the podium one time. In 104 races, Connor Daly has only finished on the podium once. He's only had one pull in his career. He only has a total of four top five finishes and a total of 19 top 10 finishes. His average start is 16.94, so around 17. And his average finish is a 15.66, so around 16. Uh, That doesn't sound all that great, at least not to me. Now, I know what you're going to say. Connor Daly hasn't had the best equipment, and I understand that. I remember back to 2017 where he was running for A.J. Foyt. If you guys who watch IndyCar know, A.J. Foyt, let's just say they're not the best equipment in the garage. And to be fair, 2018 and 2019, he didn't even run full-time. In fact, 2018, he only ran four races. 2019, he only ran seven races. And he's run full seasons in the past in three of the past four years. This year he'll unless he finds a ride, he'll be relegated back to part-time duties. But and even 2022, he missed three races. I'm not exactly sure as to why, though. But I mean, looking at the stats, he hasn't finished on the podium since 2016. So it's been nearly seven years since he's even reached the podium. His best average finish in a season full time is looking through here is 14.4 average finish back in 2016. His overall best average finish is 13.4 in 2019. But again, you know, IndyCar, it's not like the fields are necessarily big. The most they get is around 27, 28 cars. So the best he can do in an average finish is mid-pack. And going back to the equipment argument, folks, it's not like he's had bad equipment his entire career. I mean, let's be honest. Ed Carpenter Racing, they're not the best equipment in the field. But it's not terrible. They're not terrible cars. I mean, let's look at one of his teammates, or I guess in this case, his former teammate, Renus VK. Renus VK is an Ed Carpenter driver. So what has Renus VK done since joining IndyCar in 2020? He has 53 starts, about half the amount that Connor Daly has. He has one win. So he's already got that over Connor. Four podiums. Three more than Daly. Two poles. 
got more than Connor Daly. And he has a 14.1 average finish on his career. Better than his average finish total is better than Connor Daly's best season. And Renus has led over 200 laps in his career. And if we take a look at Connor Daly, he's only led 136. And Daly's been in the sport since 2013. And his teammate, who is significantly younger, who has half the experience Connor has, has already done miles better. At the end of the day, Formula One says does this a lot where the benchmark is your teammate. And if you're miles off your teammate, that's a problem. I mean, folks, I just read off the stats. Connor Daly to Renus VK. It's not like Renus VK is a 11, 10 year veteran like Connor is. Renus just started in, this is only his fourth season in IndyCar. This, right now, Connor's been in IndyCar for 10 years. He's never won. He's only been on the podium one time. He's only got one pull. He's only led 136 laps. And he's has an average finish total of 15.7. And he's only finished half of his races on the lead lap. Think about this IndyCar, like road course racing is not known for lap traffic, especially if IndyCar isn't really known for having half of the cars off the lead lap. And Daly's only been able to finish on the lead lap half of his starts, essentially. Again, I have nothing personal against Connor. He seems like a really good guy. But at the end of the day, motorsports is a business. And look, Ed Carpenter Racing, they're not having the greatest season right now. Reynas VK isn't really having the best season right now. And look, Connor hasn't been having the best season right now as well. So some change has to be made. At the end of the day, it starts off with the drivers. Because I always say the drivers are the figureheads. They're the face of the team. So when the face of the team is just not performing relative to reasonable expectations, I mean, you got to change something. I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now. Renus VK is 15th in points, and Connor Daly's 20th in points. Daly's behind David Malukas, Graham Rahal, who didn't even qualify for the Indy 500. He had to get subbed in. Marcus Armstrong, Callum Eilat, drivers that, you know, Daly should easily be, you know, and Ed Carpenter. Again, I know Ed Carpenter hasn't had the greatest season, but, I mean, with given Daly's experience, and again, the 20 and 21 cars aren't bad equipment. They're consistently running inside the competing for top 10s and occasionally top fives and podiums. But Connor's not doing that. Now, I don't want to completely bash Daly. He does have some sort of, like, he knows what he's doing. Number one, he doesn't wreck equipment. Number two, he did lead the most laps in the Indy 500. I believe it was last year or two years ago. It was one of those 500s. He did lead the most laps. And he was in contention for about the midway portion of the race. But still, 20th in points, really a non-factor in equipment that you should be consistently getting top 10s in, and you can't really do that. And the team's already doing pretty bad, and there's really no difference with Connor. You got to make a change. I really don't blame Ed Carpenter for making a change, especially with the driver that they just announced is going to replace him, Ryan Hunter Ray. Now, granted, Ryan Hunter Ray isn't anything special now. Yes, he's a former Indy 500 winner. Yes, he's a former IndyCar champion. But he hasn't won in five years. 
He's really been a non-factor, and he's been part-time for the past couple years. But, again, he brings that championship pedigree that a team like Ed Carpenter needs. You're not going to dump Remus VK. You just picked him up. He's your future. Connor's already proven that he can't really do that much with the equipment. So it makes sense. Boot him out and bring a veteran with championship pedigree to help fix the program. It makes to me it makes perfect sense. And again, I got nothing wrong against Connor, but there's a difference between being popular and delivering being the best. Connor is one of the most popular. Unfortunately, he's not one of the best. I hope he does get a ride that you know can help out. If I'm Connor, I try to take the Takuma Sato route, which is, you know. Maybe try to get a part-time gig for a top team. Maybe with Penske or Ganassi or maybe Andretti. Andretti's been taking on some unproven talent as of late. Delvin DeFrancesco, Roman Grosjean, drivers that really haven't done much in the series. Maybe Connor Daly can land there at Andretti Autosport and maybe he could pick something up. But then again, Andretti Autosport really has been a no-show for the past couple years. I'll talk about that in a future episode. But again... There's a difference between the most popular driver and being the best driver. Sometimes you can be both, like if you're Chase Elliott or if you're Lewis Hamilton, but in the case of Connor, he's one, but he's not the other. And unfortunately, the other that he's not is the one is the reason why he unfortunately doesn't have a run. I hate it for Connor. Hopefully he picks up his feet somewhere, but can't really blame Ed Carpenter for their decision. They got to fix the program. And look, if you have a driver that's not really doing much, there's no re- there's no sense of keeping him around. Sorry. I mean, yes, he doesn't tear up equipment, but if you're a team like Ed Carpenter, which you know that you're capable of winning races, you're capable of, you know, getting the top fives in the podiums, just bringing the equipment in one piece isn't enough. I mean, let's be honest here, folks. Racing isn't an endurance. Motorsports in general nowadays, it's not endurance anymore. It's not back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, or even 90s, or in very few cases, the early 2000s, where, you know, bringing the car home in one piece could actually deliver you big results. The cars, they're so reliable. I mean, if there's very, a mechanical fear is rare nowadays. So nowadays, if a driver isn't making mistakes, we view that as they're not pushing the car enough. Maybe that's what Connor's doing. He's just not pushing it hard enough, or he hasn't been. It's not enough now just to bring the car home in one piece. you got to deliver some sort of results. And unfortunately, Connor hasn't. Uh, okay, I know that probably was a little controversial. It's always controversial when you're going after a popular driver. And we're going to be talking about a popular driver again, arguably a more popular driver and arguably one of the most popular drivers in the world, Shea Elliott, or at least here in the United States, he definitely is, especially given he's won the last three or five straight most popular driver awards. But Chase has had a roller coaster season, to say the least. He's He missed six races due to injury. He hasn't really been that competitive. And then he just got he was just suspended this last race for well wrecking Denny Hamlin at the Coke 600. So Chase's season looks kind of bleak. I think that's fair to say. You know, 
I mean, currently he's 27th in points. He's behind two SHR cars, all the college cars, and all the front row cars. And if we look at the playoff standings, he is currently – I mean, so NASCAR right now, they currently don't have Chase Elliott, at least in NASCAR. They don't have Chase Elliott in the, on their playoff grid. But I do believe he is around like 90-something points below the cut line. Well far away from where he needs to be in the top 16 of points. So a lot of people have been asking the question. Because before Chase got suspended, a lot of people, including myself, thought that, you know, the way he's been running, yeah, he hasn't been running really in the top five, but he's been consistently in the top 10, top 15. He'll probably be able to point his way in. Now with the suspension and that DNF at the Coke 600, he's more than guaranteed to be in a must-win situation. He'll have to outscore Daniel Swartz and Alex Bowman, I believe, by like 9 or 10 points per race. That is a lot to ask for, given he has an injury, he's still recovering from, and he just got suspended. And he already doesn't have enough speed as is. So let's look at the remaining races before the playoffs. And I'm going to give my – and we're going to – discuss does he have a great shot at it in terms of winning the race or a not so great shot at it in terms of winning the race so we're going to start off with sonoma and we'll end it off with the the said july daytona race i'm living in 2019 the august daytona race the regular season finale so let's begin so let's start off with sonoma raceway the next race coming up the final race on fox might i add sonoma raceway Chase Elliott, really good at road courses. He's won seven road course races in his career, which is, I believe, top three all-time in NASCAR. He's only two away from beating Jeff, for tying Jeff Gordon with the most all-time. And, you know, last year, Chase Elliott was pretty good at Sonoma. He started second, finished eighth, and led 26 laps in the race. And... He's had a pretty good stretch of Sonoma, you know, for the past two races. Actually, for the past five races, barring a DNF, all the way back in 2019, he's finished in the top 10 in four of his past five Sonoma races, and two of those are top fives. However, look at his overall stats. His average finish total in Sonoma is 13.3. However, that DNF does bring it up quite a bit, and that is his only DNF at Sonoma. He's finished in the top 10 four out of his six races. And he's left 42 laps at Sonoma. However, half of those laps came last year. And really, 39 of those 42 laps came in the past two races. So Chase, ever since NASCAR got back to Sonoma from the pandemic, Chase has really been strong at Sonoma. So I would say Chase Elliott's odds of winning Sonoma are very good. I'd say they're pretty high. Now let's move on to Nashville. This is another track I'd say Chase Elliott has a really good shot at winning his way in, simply because he did win the race last year. My one concern, and that's why I'm not going to say he has as great of a shot as he would at Sonoma, the team hasn't really shown a lot of speed at these kind of intermediate tracks. It's been the 11, the 5, the 24. Those have really been the big three at this intermediate style tracks. Chase Elliott has run bottom half, top 10, top 15. He needs to show that he can have the speed at these big mile-and-a-half intermediate-style tracks to be able to even compete for the win. Because right now, in these types of races, 
he's probably the third best car on his own team. So given he's the defending winner, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'd take Sonoma over Nashville for Chase Elliott. Moving on to the Chicago street race. Completely new race. No one knows what to expect. Given Chase Elliott's history with road racing, I'd say he has a pretty good shot. But because it's such an outlier, we're going to say it's 50-50. Now let's move on to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Again, Chase is the defending winner here. Now Chase didn't compete in this race in the past race this year because he was out with an injury. However, he did win the July Atlanta race last year. It's a plate race. The last time Chase Elliott competed a plate race was Talladega, where he did win a stage and finished top 10. So, plate racing, Chase hasn't lost a step since he came back from injury. So, I will say that Atlanta, he has a really good shot at winning that race. Let's move on to New Hampshire. That hasn't really been a track that Chase has necessarily been known to compete in. Leavs has a couple top fives there, but he's never won there. He doesn't really lead laps. That seems more like a track I would take a Ford or a Toyota in more so than a Chevrolet. So I'm not going to give, I'm going to say Chase Elliott's chances of winning Loudon are pretty low. Let's move on to Pocono. Pocono, Chase Elliott won that race last year. Granted, he only won it due to the top two cars getting D and Q, but it's still a win. He still ran top five. He didn't even lead a lap, though, that race, so he wasn't really in contention for the win. He is the defending winner, but due to the win being under dubious circumstances, I'm going to say that his chances of winning the race, again, given that the team hasn't shown a lot of speed on the big tracks, are not very likely. Moving on to Richmond Raceway. The nine car with Josh Berry did finish second lap this year in the spring race. Granted, it was due to strategy, but that is something to note. I think we can all agree Chase is a better driver than Josh. I think that's not a controversial statement to say. I think with this being a couple more races now under the book, that nine team is finally going to start finding its groove. So I'm not going to say he's going to win the race. He's never won at Richmond. But I'll say he has a better shot here than he would at Pocono or Loud. Moving on to Michigan. Again, a track that Chase is pretty darn good at. He's usually up front at Michigan, and he has a lot of second-place finishes at Michigan International Speedway. The question is going to be, can that team deliver the speed? It's going to be later in the season, so again, I'm kind of thinking that they're going to gel a lot better, kind of like how they, you know, they're going to start to look a lot more like they did towards the beginning of the year and towards last year. So I'm going to say it's a 50-50 chance. The Indy Road Course He's been up front there a couple times, but he's never won there. Watkins Glenn, I think this is probably his best shot at winning. He has two wins at the track. He's led a lot of laps here. He's won a lot of stages here. If there's any track I think Chase Elliott can win at to lock himself into the playoffs, it's Watkins Glenn. And then there's the regular season finale at Daytona. Again, Chase Elliott, really good at super speedway racing. He's won at Atlanta and at Talladega, and he's won at Talladega twice. So he knows how to get around a super speedway. He hasn't won at Daytona. He's had a couple runner-up finishes here. but So I'm going to say he has a really good shot at winning Daytona. But, you know, plate races are usually a 50-50 ball game. So with all that being said, given the tracks that I've named, given, you know, his experience, and also given where he's at in the season, 
do I personally believe that Chase Elliott will win a race to lock himself into the playoffs? I'm leaning towards yes. However, it's a very slight yes. We're talking 55% to 45%. I don't think he's, I personally don't think he's a lock to win any of these races. I think he will. I think he will win one of these races. Like maybe he wins a Sonoma or maybe he wins, or maybe he wins a Nashville or Michigan or Watkins Glen. But I don't think it's a lock. I mean, folks, Chase has only led 30 laps all year. I know he's missed a lot of time due to injury. But even when he has been up, when he has been racing, he hasn't really been a contender. Now, granted, he's still recovering from his broken leg. I mean, the first race he came back was Martinsville. You got to—that's probably a lot of pressure he put on his left leg, more than he probably would have liked to have on his left leg. So he's still recovering. I understand that, but again, Byron, Larson, those are just two teammates, drivers in his own team. And they're miles ahead in terms of speed to chase in the 19. If you can't even beat your own teammates on a consistent basis, how can I trust that you're going to beat the rest of the field? So I'm going to say he does win one of the races. My bank, my guess is he wins Watkins Glen, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I don't think it's a lock. If Chase were to miss the playoffs because he didn't win a race, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. He just hasn't shown the speed. I think he will, but I can go either way. I can just as easily see him winning a race to lock himself into the playoffs as easily as I can see him not winning a race and completely missing out of the playoffs entirely. And really, if he misses the playoffs, you can make an argument that's on him because he was tracking to make the playoffs on points before he got that suspension. Had he just kept his head cool in the Coke 600, maybe finish another top 15, another top 10 finish, he gets another one at Gateway. He's a lot closer to the cut line. Now he's in a must win. And he doesn't have the speed to win right now. Again, I think he will win a race before the playoffs start. I just don't think it's a guarantee. Oh, all right. This has been a really controversial episode, I would say. This is probably one of my more controversial episodes. Let's add on to it more. So... I think we can all agree that when we think of the world championship, you think that they're racing all around the world. At the very least, you would race at all the major continents. Unless, obviously, they're not going to race in Antarctica, unless they're going to build a snow track for some reason. But you'd think, okay, they're racing in the Americas, they're racing in Europe, they're racing in Asia, they're racing in Australia, and they're definitely racing in Africa, right? Well, they don't. Obviously, Formula One, I don't even remember the last time they raced in Africa. But South Africa has been a buzz to get on the Formula One calendar for years. And, you know, a report came out that F1 was actually ready to race at South Africa for the South African Grand Prix. And it would be huge for the sport to race in South Africa. I mean, you got a black driver on the grid in Lewis Hamilton, and that would knock the final continent that F1 needs. And you know how big that would be for the continent of Africa, especially for South Africa? I mean, imagine the promotion. 
You could get Elon Musk involved, who's who's from South Africa. You could get a lot of buzz from racing in South Africa. So why is an F1 racing in South Africa? Well, the report is because South Africa has ties to Russia. F1, look, we know they pretty much cut Russia out of all their plans ever since they invaded the Ukraine. And I'm not here to defend those, you know, what's going on over there. I personally think it's disgusting, but I'm not here to defend it. I'm not here to talk about that. That's not what this show is about. But one thing that does kind of, you know, kind of, you know, I guess is a pet peeve of mine, if you will, is when, you know, let's say someone or a series, they strive their hardest to get the high moral ground. What are your principles? What are your morals? You see, we're not racing South Africa because, oh, look, they're tied with the big bad Russia. Really? So let's get this straight. The reason we're now racing in South Africa is because they have some sort of ties to Russia. Mm-hmm. We've cut ties with Russia in Formula One. I get that. It's the only reason Nikita Mazepin isn't on the grid. But, I mean, what about the rest of what about the rest of the other countries or cities that? F1 races at that I would you can make an argument are just as bad as Russia. You don't believe me? Let, let, let's just go through the countries that F1 races at that are probably in terms of you know controversy or popularity around the same level as Russia. Let's go. Bahrain. Majority of countries in the Middle East are going to fall under that category. Saudi Arabia, oh my goodness. Saudi Arabia, you know, yeah, we race at Saudi Arabia. Arguably one of the worst countries when it comes to human rights. And we race at Saudi Arabia. Okay, let's continue. Let's see the rest of this list here. So, Qatar. Another country... Pretty bad with their human rights. We race there on the calendar. What about the season finale at Abu Dhabi? Here's my thing. I'm not in the business of trying to take the moral high ground. I get Formula One is a business. They need to make money. I understand that. I wouldn't be surprised if the real reason we don't race at South Africa is because, you know, they don't, they didn't put up enough money. I guarantee you that's the case. What annoys me is, again, when they try to take the high road, because now people are going to hear the bell, oh yeah, they're definitely sticking it to the Russians. So we're going to completely ignore these other countries that Formula One races at that are just as controversial, if not worse, than Russia. But Russia, because it's the it's the fad, I guess, nowadays, they're the big bad that we can't even touch them. How does that make any sense, folks? 
It doesn't. Now, if you want to take the moral high ground, you got to be consistent. Like if F1 were to come out and say that we're dropping Saudi Arabia, we're dropping Qatar, we're dropping Abu Dhabi, okay, at least you're being consistent. But you're picking one and not the other. I mean, the whole we race as one, remember that Formula One slogan? And then just a couple weeks later, they announced, we got a Saudi Arabia race, folks. Folks, it's about the money. There's no way to describe. There's no other way. And at the end of the day, you know what? It is what it is. I mean, again, I'm personal. I'm not one to talk about the moral high ground. I mean, this phone, my my phone, my laptop, my, the shoes that I wear. You guys know the stories on how most of those are probably made in a Chinese factory. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality that we live in. So, again. The problem is Formula One is picking one side, but they're not being consistent with the other side. That's what makes no sense to me. If you're going to pick, if you're going to try to stay consistent with one, you got to do with the other. Again, I'm not saying that F1 should just go back to Russia. I'm not saying that at all. But you can't cut out one thing saying that that one thing is bad and then you still have a couple other things here that are just that are arguably just as bad and just turn a blind eye to it because they pay the bills. Folks, again, I don't have a problem. Look, if South Africa were to get announced on the F1 schedule, I'd be happy for it. Again, I think they'll bring a lot of good to the sport, probably a lot of good to South Africa as well. But I'm not here to play the high moral ground. That's not what I'm here to do. So when you have a lot, when you have people or series come out and try to play the high moral ground, and then they do things in the background or they announce things that completely contradict them, that's what gets me. That's what gets me. If South Africa just couldn't pay the bills, just come out and say it. We already know F1's an expensive sport. But if you're going to come out and say that because they have ties to Russia Meanwhile, you're racing in all these countries that violate a lot of human rights. It, it's contradicting itself. It, just personally me. I could be wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. Let me know if I'm just talking completely out of my ass. But that's my take on that one. Again, I'm not here to play the moral game. I'm not here to have the high ground in terms of what are your morals, what are your principles. But if you're going to be consistent, if you're going to try to take the high road on one thing, you got to be consistent with the other. Formula One, they're not doing that. And that's going to do it for this episode. Again, a very controversial episode, most definitely. I guarantee you some of my friends are probably going to say that I'm smoking something. But anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Amazon, and, of course, YouTube. You can find all our episodes on all those major platforms. If you want to follow me on my social medias, you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at Motor Minister. I have a lot of conversation going on, especially on Twitter. But thank you guys so much for tuning in as always, and we will see you in the next one.